This is Mission.org. I'm Alec Baldwin, and you're listening to Marketing Trends and the Leeds Art Week. Twenty twenty proved to be one of the most unprecedented and unpredictable years in history. Forevermore, marketing students will study the way brands altered campaigns at moment's notice, embraced new technology, and dealt with social challenges as they surfaced. And they will also study the fallout and the response to all of those activities in the years that followed, especially as it relates to marketing in a digital world to meet a new kind of audience. 2021, aside from all of this exciting brand new technology and all of the demographic shifts that are happening that are going to allow brands to do new things for the first time, it's going to be a year of huge risk because there are a lot of consumers and employees that are at home with a lot of extra time, a lot of millennials and Gen Z years that are going to be spending more time than normal on social media and on digital, which means a lot of the things that brands are doing right now is going to be scrutinized. Kai Wright is an author, advisor, and lecturer at Columbia University, as well as the founder and curator of Blacklist 100. So he sits at an interesting intersection in the marketing universe, both as a scholar and as a practitioner. On this episode of Marketing Trends, Kai dives into the intricacies of 2020 and the ripple effect it continues to have on the marketing industry. Kai also dives into the social movements brands have had to respond to and what that response means to consumers. Enjoy this episode. Marketing Trends podcast is brought to you by Salesforce. We bring marketing and engagement together. Learn more at salesforce.com slash marketing. Welcome to Marketing Trends. I'm Ian Faison, host of Marketing Trends, and today we are joined by special guest Kai. How are you? I'm great, Ian. Thanks for having me. Yeah, thanks for for joining us. Uh, excited to chat with you today. You've been at at the forefront of a lot of uh, a lot of advertising recently, uh, and are working on some amazingly cool projects and things. So, before we get into all of that, how'd you get started in marketing in the first place? Well, my journey was a little uh, winding, I would say. Left college, which was the University of Chicago, I was studying economics. And I always thought that I would go into finance and banking. However, the year that I left is probably one that many people will remember. It was 2007, which was not the best time to go into a finance-based career. And so I was interviewing with Melody Hobson, who runs Aerial Investments. And for many individuals, that name at the time may not have meant much, but now um, it does because last year she was appointed to the chair seat of Starbucks. <laughs> and so she um, really had this philosophy um, around being slow and steady that I was incredibly impressed with as I interviewed with her. And when I thought about things that could be complementary to the skill set that is needed for finance and banking, which is understanding trends, understanding markets, understanding shifting demographics. All those things applied also to marketing and communication. And so I followed what I would call plan C and went towards um, Oakley. And at the time, really didn't have a sense of exactly what type of job within the field I wanted. And so they had a really great rotational program called the Associates Program. And I was lucky enough to get into 
that highly competitive program. I think they admit um, about 15 to 20 individuals a year out of over a thousand applicants. And so um, when I started in that program, I had a sense that digital and social media might become a bigger thing. And my inclination came from a few years prior um, when I was in college. Mark Zuckerberg's sister, Donna, um, was a fellow student at the University of Chicago, and she came to campus and she told us about the Facebook. And we put a petition in the school um, newspaper in order to try to get added as a school. We were the seventh school added on Facebook. And so I was one of the initial 100,000 users of that platform. And to look back and think about where it's gone from being a wow. more university closed network to more than half of the individuals in the world having it and many people relying on it as their central um, mode of com communication and news gathering. That reinforced to me that I think I made a, a good choice in terms of digital and social and understanding those areas. You know, I'd said my path was a little winding because when I entered the industry, I felt like I had imposter syndrome, uh, to be honest with you. I did not study advertising or communication or PR or business. Um, and so I wanted to supplement my education just to stand out um, a little bit more and enrolled in graduate school at Columbia. And I studied communication, um, got a master's, and then started teaching there. So at, at this stage, I've kind of had two roles um, within the field of marketing. Um, one as scholar, um, having taught at Columbia for the past decade, and one as practitioner, um, having worked in a number of different jobs, and most recently um, back at Ogilvy as a partner. And so probably one of the rare individuals that is not only a minority, but, uh, but has gone from entry level all the way up to partner in terms of the industry. And it was a very exciting time for, for me to get into the industry when I was an associate. Ogilvy was doing advertising for American Express. That was kind of their biggest client. And so the allure of working on such a notable household name um, was a pretty big pool. And they were doing ads with Ellen DeGeneres at the time and Beyonce. And that for me represented this really great sweet spot within culture that made me feel as if they knew how to make brands matter. Um, they were taking a notion of diversity and putting that on the big screen. And for someone like me, um, who is a minority, that was important as an environment to be in. Uh, but I also think an important lesson when it comes to understanding people and understanding communities and really making sure that when we talk about diversity, it actually manifests um, in real life also. Yeah, totally. I mean, I think it's something we've talked about so many times on this show, just about like how, how unacceptable it is that you have such a lack of diversity, like from, you know, for every obvious reason, but also just because how are you supposed to, you know, to reach the people that you're trying to market to? How are you supposed to come up with new ideas and new things when everybody in the room has had the same backgrounds or experiences or skin color or whatever it is? It just, it never really made sense. Um, and as we were chatting about before this with you, um, you know, spent formative years uh, as uh, with your, your, your folks in the military and I spent time in the military. It's like one of those things where, you know, kind of the way that I grew up, you know, there's so much, there's so much like uh, forced diversity in the military because it's, that's just how it is, right? Like nobody, 
you know, gets to decide where they go or what they do. And, and you kind of have that uh, mixing pot from the, from, you know, jump street. And I think that's one of the things that makes like our military strong. And it's so funny to see just how many organizations have such a lack of vision to build um, diversity inclusion, both like on their teams, but also in their, in their marketing or in their messaging. Absolutely. And, you know, one of those things that being a part of a community like the um, army was being able to travel. And I was very fortunate. I'm along with, you know, my family, of course, my uh, parents to live in Germany until I was five. And so the way that I encountered the world when I came back in, the, you know, to the United States, I was kind of an American foreigner. <laughs> that's, that's what it felt like. And so I've learned to navigate um, the world by the power of observation. And I think you learn that there are values and things other than language that unite individuals, emotions that unite individuals, rituals um, that unite individuals, concepts and notions like family that unite individuals, then you become an even stronger marketer. So for me, having that experience of coming from a uh, military household um, and being able to travel and interact with so many different types of individuals um, was really key in terms of, I think, making me a better marketer. So you wrote a book uh, not too long ago called Follow the Feeling, Brand Building in a Noisy World. Uh, and then the next year, uh, the world got much noisier. The platforms went, you know, exploded over, over the course of the year. You know, marketers have an increasingly difficult challenge in 2021. What do you feel is the, is the state of, of brand building in a noisy world in, uh, in 2021 here? Wow. Well, that's such, <laughs> such a great question. And you're, you're absolutely right. You know, a couple of episodes ago, you had a behavioral scientist on Rahul. And one of the big trends that I'm seeing is a fascination with behavioral science, which is an offshoot of behavioral economics. It's been around since the 1970s and has really reached this kind of height in terms of pop culture um, with Richard Thaler winning a Nobel Prize in 2017, Daniel Kahneman winning a Nobel Prize in 2002. And with so many institutions, as well as companies investing in newer consumer behavior-led strategies, um, behavioral science has become really big. And so my goal with writing, follow the feeling, brand building in a noisy world was really to capture behavioral science as a um, system uh, in a systematic kind of holistic approach to brand building and really helping organizations shore up as there are so many shifts in the way that individuals are communicating with each other and the modes um, that individuals are communicating. So one of the other big trends um, that's covered in the book is recognizing that a lot of the brand books and brand guidelines that have been written are not um, relevant for today's audiences. We've kind of moved away from these big, splashy campaigns, um, especially out-of-home type things. Not only last year, but there was already a natural evolution towards more um, digital, community-based, social-based, content-based um, engagement. And we're starting to see these more traditional ways in terms of TV ads and out of home that are um, starting to decline. And so the playbook that marketers will use in 2021 will, in my opinion, look remarkably different 
than it did five years ago and 10 years ago, especially with the additions of audio, um, which is one of the five kind of shortcuts covered in the book in terms of building a brand that breaks through. When we look at audio, we are confronted with new emerging technologies like Clubhouse, which uh, brands have yet to really jump on the bandwagon for, but it's ripe uh, for 2021. Um, We have, of course, uh, TikTok. We have major things that have happened in Fortnite, like concerts with The Weeknd and Travis Scott that have gotten over 10 million viewers. And so 2021 will be a year of reset. We have said for a long time um, that there's going to be a digital tipping point. That digital tipping point came in 2018, 2019. Um, in terms of that level of personalization and um, investment in emerging technologies. And so um, we're now living on the other side of that tipping point. I think we're seeing the companies that took the time to invest in their digital ecosystem are winning because those companies, you know, accelerated earlier this year, um, in, well, rather last year in Q1, Uh, When the pandemic were just starting, right, we saw this kind of e-commerce growth that went from, you know, as Bank of America put it, 10 weeks during Q1 and Q2 of 2020 saw the same equivalent amount of growth in e-commerce as the prior 10 years. So 10 weeks of uh, a growth tier that represented 10 10 years. And so for all those companies that had invested in a digital foundation, social foundation, which ultimately means community and content. Um, over the last couple of years, they were the benefactors. And so we saw a lot of companies from Peloton to Etsy, Sephora, the NBA, that all were um, coming out of the pandemic stronger, more resilient than ever, because they had these strong um, cult-like communities that they had cultivated around themselves. Yeah, it's... uh... It's a key point to think about people that invested in their in their digital infrastructure and digital footprint, right? Because it's not something that you see. It's not something that wins awards. It's not something that you necessarily see because it's not the most flashy. But then once you have all those things in place, you can you can reap the rewards in a in a major way. Um, and I think you're you're you nailed it that there were a lot of people that that didn't do that and kind of were left behind. Uh, What are some examples that you saw that were kind of best in class over the past year? Well, we saw last year this surge in not only executives from a C-suite standpoint, but also a number of marketing leaders that committed and pledged to take action related to social justice, um, racial equity, and Black Lives Matter. Um, Brands had already been in the social justice space, right? You look at a brand like Ben & Jerry's, which has made it core to how they operate in terms of product integration and speed to market. Um, They have um, used those two things in terms of um, product and speed to market in order to make sure that they are pushing on the the leadership side of being early in terms of catalyzing change. And so they did that last year when it came to you know, Black Lives Matter. And there were a number of other companies, if we just look at 2020 in isolation, and probably the biggest social thing being Black Lives Matter, there were over 100 companies in which the CEOs um, or a CMO committed to being better when it comes to minority communities. And that extends to marketing and communication, hiring and promotions of different teams. Who's invited in order to sit at the creative table in terms of I'm giving ideas 
as well as who is part of the process of investing back into the communities that um, all these brands have um, some type of um, share of wallet within. The brands that did it best, um, you know, everyone couldn't be Ben and Jerry's and, and, you know, take a brand new product to market in the middle of a pandemic. But um, every brand had the capacity to at least leverage their channels for the greater good. And so the companies that stood out were the ones that recognized that they needed to acknowledge what was happening in the world among so many consumer groups. Peloton was a superstar, right? And so um, not only were they able to kind of just grow as a company, um, you know, based on home fitness, um, but they also were able to use their platform in order to have um, music and voice from their different instructors that educated individuals about what was happening in the world. And so to be able to have the duality of creating a new ritual where someone is learning as they're using the product, um, that was pretty key. And the reaction was incredibly positive. Um, And it was something that allowed the employees, right? Those kind of celebrity uh, like instructors in order to build a deeper community that stood on the foundation of purpose. Um, you know, other brands that did really well were companies like the NBA, Beats by Dre, <laughs> in terms of really looking at Black culture and saying, you know, it is a necessary part of American culture. Um, the two are intrinsically connected. And it's important to go beyond loving Black culture and to actually love Black people. And so I have to give it to Beats by Dre. I think they nailed kind of that Black Lives Matter messaging uh, with Naomi Osaka in a series of ads called You Love Me. And it was really um, putting um, a challenge out to different communities that it's you know not enough to celebrate the music, um, the fashion and the literature, all those pieces that come out of minority communities, um, but to actually take time to understand um, the background, history, Um, and the ambitions and motivations of um, all communities in the United States. And we will see in the future, I think as another trend that is sneaking up on us as fast as e-commerce did, right? When people gave the early warning signs and they said, 10 years ago, invest in social. And then we hit a height in terms of social, right? Facebook was all about the social business. Then we said, invest in digital and personalization hit a height in 2019. And the next big thing, that a lot of brands in 2020 um, started to demonstrate was that they have to get good at talking to minority communities. You know, when the U.S. Census wraps up um, at the (laughs) end of this year and the new data comes out, um, the projections are already showing that there's going to be a major demographic shift. And so the next huge opportunity for growth for companies is not going to be e-commerce. It's not going to be digital. It's not going to be social it's going to be uh, marketing to diverse audiences. 90% of the um, population growth within the United States over the next 40 years is going to come from three groups, 90%. And that's African-Americans, Latinx, and Asian-Americans. The population of um, individuals that are white in the United States will drop to 40% within the next 20 years. And so, you know, the brands and the marketers that made investments in 2020 or made commitments in 2020, we're not going to be looking at 2021 as um, the year that proof points are put out, that action is starting to take hold because a lot of companies 
if they don't nail um, transitioning and really focusing on these new populations that are growing the fastest, their companies will get eclipsed by a lot of startups and competitors. Yeah. And I think this is one of those, uh, like a classic example of like kind of change management where you need to have a, like a five-year plan of a clear purpose and direction and goals around effort within, you know, diversity and inclusion. I, I, I worked at DN, in DNI earlier in my career. And so like, I, I know what kind of like the, um, you kind of have like the knee jerk reactions after people make promises. Right. <laughs> um, which is kind of what we saw last year is like kind of people, um, you know, talk the talk, but not walking it yet. Um, but I think that part of that is like just, you know, a lack of planning and understanding and saying like, okay, this is, this is what our company wants to be. This is where we want to be. This is how, how we want to act, not just kind of like, you know, throwing a few tweets out there. And I think that, you know, to your point, it's like, this is, this is the year that we'll see kind of who is planning over the last year versus who's kind of scrambling. Absolutely. You know, I went to, um, within advertising and marketing, there is a group Um, which I recommend individuals look into called Allyship in Action. And it started by two individuals, Steffi and Nate, and they've had a couple of um, series last year inviting CMOs, um, including um, the leaders at Levi's, the the president of Levi's, the CMO of Sephora, um, Fernando Mercado, the CMO of um, Burger King and Popeye's and um, so many other brands. And so uh, as part of that dialogue, one of the things that those companies and those leaders um, recognize was, you know, the, the need to show up this year in a meaningful way. And it was very interesting in the chat. Uh, I, I don't know who to ascribe this to, but I think it's an important headline for 2021. And, um, you know, as they spoke about their commitments and others kind of just gave examples of what other brands were doing in 2020, someone <laughs> in, the, in the thread um, dubbed 2021 as the year of receipts. And, you know, I'm looking forward to as a scholar practitioner is really seeing out of all of these brands that make commitments, who is going to be earnest and walk the walk? Because this isn't the first time that we've had, um, you know, overwhelming commitments to support a minority group, whether um, in the past it may have been LGBT. Um, Q, or it may have been, um, you know, women's rights in terms of pay equity, now uh, Black Lives Matter. And so, you know, I think it's incumbent upon brands to demonstrate in 2021 that they are credible and believable when they put out these messages, and that they aren't just stroking the kind of the winds of PR in order to um, be relevant in the moment. And so 2021, aside from all of this exciting brand new technology and all of the um, demographic shifts that are happening that are going to allow brands to do new things for the first time, it's going to be a year of huge risk because there are a lot of consumers and employees that are at home with a lot of extra time, a lot of millennials and Gen Zers that are going to be spending more time than normal on social media and on digital, which means a lot of the things that brands are doing right now is going to be scrutinized. It's going to be seen um, more than normal. And um, you know that in some cases may lead to creative fatigue, but in other cases leads to a really great chance to engage the community and really understand what's motivating them and what does value mean to them right now at this moment in time. 
So if you were advising our listeners on on what kind of your approach would be in, in 2021 around kind of uh, uh, addressing the receipts to say, okay, hey, we made a bunch of promises in 2020. We're going to try to uh, make good on all that. What would be your advice specifically around BLM? Because I feel like there were so many things that happened in 2020 that it's a critical piece that, as you said, will be will be really watched and and uh, and assessed for our people kind of doing what they're supposed to be doing and doing what they said they were going to do. Yeah, that's a great question, Ian. Um, you know, part of my ability to live in this dual world of scholar practitioner is I often get invited to conduct research. And so last year, I um, did a huge piece of research in September for Wark, which is owned by Essential, which is um, the owners of Can Lions Festival, right? Kind of the um, you know creative gold standard that uh, most marketers are striving to um, get recognized through, and they have the world's largest advertising database. You know, they asked uh, me over the summer to look at Black Lives Matter and brand activism, and to put out a set of guidelines and a playbook that can be used. I'm you know very happy that since it was released in October, the Association of National Advertisers has endorsed it. Um, in terms of the research and the guide and the four A's have, uh, among the agencies have endorsed it also. And so, um, you know, I can answer your question, Ian, from the standpoint of some research. We um, conducted a series of polls with 2,500 Americans and over a thousand of them were African-American. And that was important so that we can establish a statistically significant sample size because in the whole conversation around Black Lives Matter, often um, what's missing at the decision maker table um, are black individuals. And so I thought this research was very important um, to pull to the forefront because, you know, a lot of organizations have good intentions in terms of um, acting responsibly and ethically and with empathy and empowerment for um, minority communities. However, I challenge those organizations to say, how can you act in the best interest of a community if that community is not sitting at the table um, saying what they um, have as their own priorities. And so in 2021, it's only going to work in terms of advancements in diversity, equity, and inclusion on the corporate level and on the agency level and the media level when individuals from minority communities have a seat at the table. That's it. Um, If there is no seat at the table, then we can't cross the bridge towards um, empathy and respect of the community because that basic tenet of the um, community um, saying what's most important to them and solving those problems that's most important to them um, is what's key. So in 2021, there's going to be brands that are going to have this reconciliation between do you do what's easy? And in the research that we've done with 2,500 Americans, um, most say they expect brands to make donations and most brands Um, When we look at um, the public statements that most of their C-suite released in um, June and July, about 100 companies from Unilever to Coca-Cola to Nordstrom, um, you know, we ran all of the press statements that they made through um, text analysis. And we saw the things that they were committed to most. And the number one thing they were committing to were donations, right? And so donations are easy, but donations is not the work. That needs to happen. Um, And so what I caution a lot of companies to understand is donations is not nearly enough and will not be acceptable 
as the only solution for how to move things forward. Um, you know, a reference earlier in our conversation, Melody Hobson, and I want to come back to her for a second because um, you know she is the um, chair of Starbucks. Starbucks has been a leader in terms of doing something that many other companies need to do, which is one, act at scale and think about economies of scale in terms of change. Because a lot of change is not going to come from hiring one person at a time. It's going to come from cohort or large um, changes that are happening. Um, So one, act at scale, and then two, establishing a very firm and clear line of success. Um, And so for a long time, there would be debates around putting targets against different things such as, you know, hiring or, you know, marketing spend towards, you know, minority-owned publications or how many influencers are in a campaign that might be minorities even from a production or procurement standpoint, what that spending is. We're now at a point where we have the data from a longitudinal standpoint. Um, We've seen over a 10, 20 plus year period that unless there is a line in the sand, unless there's a number that individuals are striving to hit, you're just not going to achieve it, right? Many marketers will, um, I think, agree with the sentiment that you measure what you treasure. And if that is the case, um, then we have to have more accountability when it comes to the C-suite and when it comes to marketing leads, when it comes to PR leads, when they make commitments that, um, you know, kind of expose or trade off of a community's pain, um, such as what happened this summer with um, George Floyd, Breonna Taylor, Maude Arbery, and so many other victims of um, injustice or kind of skewed habeas corpus that um, need the remedy of corporate America to use their spending, to use their media power, and to use their influencer connections in order to draw attention and draw action uh, for, for, for change. And so companies will get there, but we're going to have to act at scale. We're going to have to be firm and clear in terms of what success looks like. And I think lastly, brands are really going to have to focus on economic outcomes. You know, there was a new group formed last year at McKinsey and the McKinsey Institute for Black Economic Mobility. Um, there's been attempts in the past to, um, you know, put some numbers down in terms of BLM, the differences between one population group versus another one and why the situation is so so dire in terms of communities. But to give you one example, you know, a lot of businesses, a lot of organizations um, and from a marketing standpoint, cater to small businesses, right? SMBs. The SMB um, market in terms of, um, you know, the Black community and just staying kind of focused on your question of Black Lives Matter, you know, Black businesses are three times more likely to have closed during um, 2020 than a white-owned business. And so for a lot of organizations, if you don't um, understand the challenges that your community is having, you look at it as business as usual in terms of marketing, you're just not going to have anyone to market to. And so, you know, it's uh, now a period of time in which we need more organizations that are thinking from the standpoint of how to keep the bottom from falling out of so many communities so that that community can be there to be the consumers that they need in the future. And a lot of brands um, like the Nikes of the world, right? Um, They've gone through the fire with this um, over the years. You know, when they have attempted to stand with individuals, like when Nike stood with Colin Kaepernick, their stock price um, dropped. And uh, that spooked a lot of other companies. 
Today, um, we realize in hindsight that they did the right thing. Um, their stock price is up over uh, almost 100% over the, the uh, year period since uh, people were burning jerseys and Nike saying that you know they couldn't believe that Nike was standing with Colin Kaepernick. So in the moment, brands may feel as if doing the right thing is going to shake the very foundation um, of how they have operated. But when we look at the long-term impact of companies that have been leaders, whether it's Nike, Ben and Jerry's or others, um, the economic win-win is created and those brands are better off for it. Well, you know, it's interesting that you say that because, you know, we ask people what their favorite you know, ad campaign of last year was in the show. And I'd say like probably a third of people said the, the Colin Kaepernick Nike ads. And I think that some of the problems sometimes with social media on things like that is like you see the loudest, dumbest, you know, people that are, that are, that are standing against something sometimes. And you don't necessarily see all of the people who are purchasing, right? It's like, that's more of a long tail thing <laughs> for next quarter or, you know, the, the following quarters. Um, and that's exactly what we saw with Nike, right? It's like you have, you know, a bunch of stupid people burning jerseys and things like that who get a bunch of press on online who feeds kind of like the social media hype beast. And then, you know, stock price falls, everybody's nervous. And then Nike just you know, absolutely crushes for the next year. And I think, I, you know, I, I think hopefully that does show uh, a lot of, a lot of companies, um, you know, how to, how to behave uh, in a much better way. But Nike's another place where they back it up, right? It's not just, it's not just advertising to them and they put a bunch of money into that, but, but yeah, they, you know, they, they put their money where their mouth is. Absolutely. And one last thing I want to mention just around Black Lives Matter as we go into um, 2021 is that it's not going anywhere. <laughs> when, um, you know, it was started in 2013 by three black women that were reacting to kind of uh, George Zimmerman's verdict and tra over, over Trayvon Martin. And they wanted to be positive and uplifting of the black community. So I think there's often some misconception in terms of the story that's told about what Black Lives Matter stands for as a movement, um, the way it's portrayed in terms of imagery versus the mission of the three women that started it and the positivity um, in terms of their intent um, of, of getting social change that they started it um, around. Black Lives Matter was started in 2013. It took marketers seven years until 2020 for them to pay attention to it and to jump on board. And I think many individuals would have to really scratch their head and be remiss to think of five brains that really jumped on Black Lives Matter before 2020. Um, you know, Nike was one of those companies. So I'm not um, surprised that it is top of mind for many individuals because they have stood very firmly um, in the area of supporting the Black community for, um, for, for quite some time. In the research that we did in September, when we asked um, 2,500 Americans a series of questions around their attitudes and motivations for um, social impact and racial equity, one of the things that we did was just establish a baseline. And when it comes to social change um, in the United States, one of the leading organizations is the um, National Association for Colored People, right? Formed in the kind of turn of the century, early 1900s. That organization is over 100 years old. And we asked a question around awareness in terms of NAACP versus Black Lives Matter. And NAACP, as of September, in this um, group that we used, which was a national sample 
um, you know, control um, or wait, rather weight it, reweight it um, to represent the um, demographics of the U.S. 77% of individuals knew what the National Association of Colored People was, NAACP, which is 100 years old. That's been fighting um, some of the similar issues of Black Lives Matter. And yet, do you know how many people knew what Black Lives Matter was as an organization? 92%. (laughs) Within seven years, um, an organization and a movement had captured more attention um, and was more deeply understood than an organization that was 100 years old. So when marketers um, take a pause and they're like, oh, this too shall pass, it won't. (laughs) And so when um, individuals are asked um, if they think Black Lives Matter is going away, um, I'm a, you know, uh, upper 80% of individuals say it's not going to go away. So brands really uh, in 2021 are going to be called to the mat in terms of standing firm um, in the commitments that they made. Over a thousand companies um, committed to stop hate for profit, right? Another um, community-based um, initiative intended to um, stop a lot of the negative speech that in misinformation that is on um, social platforms. And so, you know, we have, um, you know, those thousand companies that have made commitments and taken action in the past, um, 100 um, companies that posted black squares and released statements in June following George Floyd's um, murder and the largest protests in U.S. history, even eclipsing um, all of the protests of the civil rights and Vietnam War and um, up, to, up to this point. And so that's the power and the momentum of this movement um, that's happening right now. And so I really implore uh, marketers to think about what they can do on their own teams that may be easier to impact than what they're doing externally in the world. And what I would say there is a lot of organizations are going to start to find pathways to progress when they look at who they are inviting to sit around the creative table, when they're looking at the influencers that are championing their messages externally and they make that a more diverse group. And when they start in reallocating media dollars, even in by the end of 2020, over 85% of spending in terms of media from a marketing standpoint was on majority general population, AKA white media outlets. Um, so we're, we're still forcing uh, minorities to get their messaging through a voice that is not representative of their community, um, as well as tactics and channels that are not most relevant to them. And so we think about relevancy and resonance, which is really the two factors that um, I talk about often in the book, Fall of Feeling, that's different than reach and repetition. And so a lot of marketers are still playing by the same old playbook of reach and repetition rather than doing the work of figuring out how to be relevant, where to be relevant, and how to resonate in terms of really amplifying voices from the community and using different nods in terms of culture of different communities so that um, those communities stand up, perk up, pay attention, um, and feel as if brands are adding value to their everyday reality. Yeah, you know, uh, it's, I definitely especially because of COVID, because we can't go anywhere. Um, but I, I definitely, you know, live in a bubble because I live in Oakland. And so obviously, like a place that's been a central figure in civil rights for a long time. Um, but just the amount of places that you saw, you know, people's houses that had Black Lives Matter in the windows, um, in storefronts, 
in, you know, places all over the city. You know, I obviously was not around in the 60s, so I have no idea what that was like. But it 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 always felt to me like it was something that, you know, to your point was not, this was not like a, a short run or like a, a flash in the pan thing that this was going to, you know, endure until until there's change, right? Like that's part of this is like, obviously, you know, there will be levels of fatigue just like there is with any kind of struggle. But I think that for me as someone who, who has, you know, been, um, you know, been following this, you know, from not, not the beginning, not 2013, but, but I think, you know, relatively closely is it'll be, it's exciting to me to think about how people can figure out a way to take action. And, you started something, uh, blacklist100.com. I, I encourage our listeners to check it out. I think that solutions like this are are some of the elegant ways to really make change because I think that at the end of the day, you know, one of the things that that we need to showcase is places where people can, you know, look up to other people or find mentors or find find businesses to spend money money with. I think one of the problems, you know, as you mentioned with marketers is, you know, especially if you're like a small marketing team, right? It's like your, your impact to, um, you know, to change your hiring practices. If you're, if you're a three person marketing team or something like that, obviously are minimal, but you control where you're putting your money or where you're spending your money and, and how those things are influenced. And I think that those, those type of way that marketers can have impact is, is really cool. So can you share, um, more about blacklist 100? Sure. Yes. And thank you for asking about it. So Blacklist 100 was my attempt to, uh, I would say, elegantly, as you put it, clap back at many individuals in the marketing advertising industry that were saying, I need more time. I need more time. I need more time. And I wanted to show them that without a significant amount of resources, not nearly as many um, as a you know, marketing team may have kind of going into the millions or hundreds of millions of dollars, some organizations, a billion dollars plus, is that it doesn't take a lot of money in terms of having an impact. It takes a purpose um, and it takes a group of individuals that are really committed to the same thing. And so when the Blacklist 100 was conceived, it was based on lessons that were taught to me um, by mentors that I had in the past, most remarkably, um, Andre Harrell, who was a huge you know, positive believer in giving diverse audiences a stage to share whatever message they had. He really believed whether it was discovering talent like Diddy or Mary Dubage or Robin Thicke or so many other music artists whose career he's helped that it wasn't up to a company or executives to say, here's the message um, that has to get communicated about an audience, but rather to give members of a community the stage to just represent themselves and to allow their ideas um, to go forth and inspire um, other individuals. And so that was the goal behind Blacklist 100, to find um, individuals whose message were, was made uniquely for the moment. Um, it's a list like none other. You know, there's no nominations. It's um, more similar to um, the MacArthur Fellows um, list in terms of recognizing individuals' work than it is a Forbes 30 on the 30 list, for instance. Individuals don't know that they're going to be on it. And I am really excited about all of the great ways we're expanding Blacklist 100 in 2021 to include 
more content, um, more advice um, from individuals that are on the list. And we'll be announcing um, a second list this June, um, around Juneteenth. And the you know hope for the blacklist, borrowing a cue from behavioral science, was really to think about what new rituals could be created um, that created moments of impact. And so um, the list represents an annual moment of impact um, that is paired to Juneteenth at a time in this country where um, Juneteenth as a holiday is not new for some states. Some states like Texas have been celebrating it for quite some time, but from a national standpoint, it is new. And many companies wrestled with whether they give employees the day off um, or not, whether they treat it as a day of training or a moment of reflection or um, volunteering. And organizations are still feeling their way through that. But we saw many large um, organizations give their employees time off. And I think that will be something you know that is continued and annualized. And so one of the things that I think about when it comes to you know being authentic and um, helping advance different um, narratives is you know the the rituals or the moments um, the aperture moments in which there's going to be um, new voices that are that are put out and so um, my ambition and uh, hope is the the list as it becomes annualized, as it continues to get put out, it'll be something during the summer that continues to inspire many individuals and also give corporations, media outlets, agencies, all um, a, a, a indicator, right? Kind of a flashlight on who to collaborate with, who to invite um, to be um, a potential you know, creative or strategy input, a potential partner, in terms of activating some of their ideas. And so I wanted to not only challenge those individuals at big companies that said, I need more time, but also those individuals that said, I don't know who to turn to um, within this community to help achieve some of the big challenges, whether it's hiring, um, whether it's retention, whether it's learning and development, whether it's investing back in Black communities, whether it's investing in you know Black companies so they can shore up their customer and consumer base to make sure they're there in the future, and um, you know, or it's just solving challenges like food insecurity or health that may have arisen for this audience, you know, based on what an organization uniquely does. And so um, these are individuals that can help to bridge between the way companies used to work and the way companies should behave in the future. And um, I'm excited that um, now there is one concentrated place individuals can go to. One of the surprising things that have happened is the community that's formed around it. You know, in the couple of months since it's existed, there's been about 10,000 individuals that have started following and um, engaging with content and having posts um, you know, of their own. And so uh, this year in 2021, we're gonna start inviting brands into um, the conversation with um, individuals on the Blacklist 100. And hopefully those brands, as they think about the commitments they made for uh, in 2020, um, whether um, it's donations or beyond, that we can help direct them towards the people doing the work, because there's many individuals who are doing the work who are activists um, on a um, community level or corporate level, and they need um, support. And so that's really the goal for this year is to align the um, mission 
of the change agents and the intent of corporations and brands um, to possibly impact communities. That's so cool. I'm really excited to uh, to follow along and, uh, and we'll link it up in the show notes so everybody can check out um, or you can just go to blacklist100.com. Well, geez, that's that's about it for today. Kyla, we got to do some uh, some lightning round questions before you get out of here. These questions are fast and easy, just like marketing with Salesforce. You can go to salesforce.com slash marketing to learn more lightning round questions. Kai, are you ready? All right. Let me let me get let me clear my mind and get ready. Is this like a mm-hmm. say the first thing on my mind? <laughs> yeah. First thing. All there right. you go. First thing on your mind. Um, favorite book or podcast from 2020? Oh, favorite book. Um, I am making my way through Promise um, Promise Land by Barack Obama. I'm a huge, I'm not a, the biggest political person, um, but I love stories of adversity and obstacles and how to overcome them and how to navigate difficult situations. And so I think whether you are um, someone who just loves politics or someone who's just trying to be a misfit or a rebel, um, you know, it, it has a lot of great lessons in there. What about a campaign that you particularly enjoyed? I have been loving a lot of the marketing coming out of Netflix. I think as an entertainment company, you know, they hit a lot of the principles um, that I talk about um, in the book, Follow the Feeling, but particularly um, their campaign around strong black lead is, um, in my opinion, the kind of gold standard for how you take a community and have strong voices that are representing that community, um, but also build media that is appealing um, to a broader audience than just that community. And so I love the mission of what um, that program stands for. And it is so important to them that, you know, they built it as an own separate content stream. So um, it's great that you can kind of follow that part of um, the Netflix machine, um, even if you're not that kind of interested in the tech side or the news side of kind of what's happening on their social handles. Um, it's a standalone um, initiative that I think many organizations should should look at and figure out how do you have narrative and encouragement and inspiration, um, acknowledgement of, um, uh, of talent in the way that they've put that together. What's one question that you never get asked that you wish you were asked more often? I wish individuals asked me uh, (laughs) what my favorite place to travel is. I love to travel. And right now, not being able to travel is very, very difficult because, you know, I, I relate to people through observation, through immersion. I've been to 20 different countries. I think that's one of the things that makes me a great marketer is the ability to, I think, humble myself in someone else's culture. And so um, I love, love talking about travel and favorite places. So I don't, I feel like I don't talk enough about my favorite places that I've been to. Well, I, uh, I can't wait to travel as well. And I can't wait until we get to meet in person at some point here um, because uh, digital stuff is always tough. Kai, it's been great having you on the show. Thanks again. Um, everybody check out Blacklist 100. Uh, and we have a lot more stuff coming from you uh, in the, throughout the rest of the year. So excited to follow along. Thanks for having me, Ian. Take care. Marketing Trends Podcast is brought to you by Salesforce. 
Discover marketing built on the world's number one CRM, Salesforce. Put your customer at the center of every interaction. Automate engagement with each customer and build your marketing strategy around the entire customer journey. Salesforce, we bring marketing and engagement together. Learn more at salesforce.com slash marketing. You have eight seconds to make a connection or risk a click away onto the next topic. The difference lies in your ability to deliver relevant experiences to your audience across devices and across channels. But delivering on a really great experience is impossible without the right people and the right technology. You've got the right people, but your technology choices will make or break someone's experience with your brand. At the center of gravity of your digital experience, Brightspot Content Management System can deliver relevant content, personalized experiences, and cross-channel synergies to create unforgettable brand experiences. So you can be a bright spot in someone's day. Head over to brightspot.com forward slash marketing trends to find out right now. From global crisis to hunger relief efforts, the messages you deliver save lives, inform important decision-making, and help keep communities safe and sound. The speed and scale of your content needs to be delivered faster and on a much larger scale. Brightspot Content Management System has supported some of the world's largest brands to communicate on a global scale. From Johnson & Johnson sharing critical information with their customers to helping Whole Foods tell their brand story to a global audience. Brightspot is designed to handle rapid iteration and personalized messages to those you care about most. Learn more at brightspot.com forward slash marketing trends.